Well, guys, we've been in the midst of a series here in the book of First Peter, and we're going to continue that series today. We're in chapter 2, and just going to kind of remind you of what Peter is doing. Peter is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is preparing the church for a persecution that Peter's not even aware of that is coming. They're, they're about to undergo some persecution under uh, Nero, the, the emperor of Rome, and uh, he's going to do some pretty cruel things to believers. But they're not aware of what's coming, but the Holy Spirit's aware of that, and the Holy Spirit is preparing them for what is ahead. And so uh, through Peter, uh, one of the apostles, God is speaking to his church. He's speaking to them about how to prepare themselves for not just for the persecution that comes, but how to prepare themselves for the kingdom that God is creating, for the, the kingdom that, that God is establishing that will last forever and ever. And so these words still remain true to us, whether we're in the midst of persecution right now or whether persecution is coming down the road or whether God's just getting us ready for eternity where we will be with him forever. And so these words are, are written to believers. It's encouraging to believers. It's also a word of warning to those who are not believers. And so we will look at this today, and if you're here or you're listening and you're a believer in Christ, these words are going to encourage you to continue that walk with the Lord, to deepen it. If you're a skeptic or you're one that's, that's looking at Christianity going, man, I don't know if that's for me yet or not, these, these words will show you what's available to you through Christ, but they'll also be a warning to you of what awaits you if you reject Christ and if you refuse him. And so I want to pick up this morning kind of with the, the last verse or so that we looked at last week in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, I'd like to begin this morning uh, just reminding you kind of where we were last week. In verse 2 uh, of chapter 2, he says, like newborn infants, I want you to long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in your salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So last week we talked about the fact that, that God has, has called us to, to have this craving for him, this, this desire for him. And we, we said last week that that desire is not something that you and I muster up. It's not something that we can just create within ourselves, but it's something that we need for the Lord to do. Uh, the good news is that God will do it. And the good news is that God can create a desire within us. It's, it's God that works in us both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. And so God does, God does this work within us. He, he creates within us this desire to follow him, this desire to go deeper with him. And so he says, like newborn infants, we're supposed to long for this pure spiritual milk. And that by doing so, we will grow up in our salvation. And then he says, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So this is something that is available for those who are believers. Now he's going to write to believers again today, and this is this is a continuation of that same thought that, that like newborn babes who come to their mother longing for this desire, this, this, this milk, this, this nourishment to grow up, uh, that we are to come to Christ. So today in verse 4, as we, we start this new, this new section, he says, as you come to him, coming to Christ, okay, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, then you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to back up and take these three verses to to kind of pick them apart. So let's go back to verse 4. He says, as you come to him. There's only one way for you and I to grow up in our salvation. There's only one way for you and I to become everything that God is, has called us to be. And that is that we've got to come to Christ. The, the Christian life, guys, is not something that you and I can do apart from Christ. This is a lesson that, that I didn't know when I came to Christ. I, I thought, okay, I come to Jesus, he saves me, and then now it's up to me. I've got to live the life, I've got to walk the walk, I've got to do these things, I've got to change who I am. And, and while there is a requirement that, that you and I participate with Christ, it, it occurs as you and I come to him. And it says we come to Jesus, and, and Jesus is this living stone. Now that's kind of a, a strange phrase. Dalton and I were talking about that some this week. A, a, a stone is something that's cold and hard and dead and yet the way Jesus is described as a living stone there's a lot of things in scripture that 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 the scripture will take and and, and use a common term and then 
bring life to it. And, and he says that we are like this, that Jesus is like this living stone. And so we are to come to Jesus. He's going to describe Jesus later in this passage as being the cornerstone of this spiritual house that God is creating. And so he says, you and I need to come to Jesus. He is this living stone. He's been rejected by men. Jesus came into his own, but his own would not receive him. Let's look at John, if you've got your Bibles open. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. John has just described Jesus being with God in the beginning, that he was God. And then he gets down to to verse 10, and he says, He was in the world, talking about Jesus. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He, Jesus, came to his own, to his chosen people. And his own people did not receive him. Think about that. Jesus created Jesus chose, Jesus made the Jews his own people, his own nation. And, and it says those that, that he created, those that he came to, they did not receive him. They rejected him. But to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here's a picture of Jesus coming into his own, and his own did not receive him. Peter says the same thing back in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says that he's this living stone, and, and he was a stone rejected by men. Now, Peter's going to set up a, a, an image, if you will, of God building this new temple. And, and the most important stone that would be set in, in the building of any building would be the, the cornerstone. It was, it was a stone that, that would be selected out of all the other stones, and, and that stone had to be perfect, had to be square. It had everything about it needed to be just right because if the cornerstone was off or if it was out of square, then the rest of that building would be off and would be out of square. And so Jesus was this stone that the Jews had rejected. The Jews looked at Jesus, measured him up, and said, we'll have nothing to do with him. He doesn't fit our mold. He doesn't, he doesn't accomplish what we want to accomplish. He's not about what we want to be about. His, his, his way of doing life is different than our way of doing life. He he doesn't fit our mold, would be the best way I know how to say that. And so the Jews had rejected Jesus. They had, they had deemed him unfit to be a cornerstone in anything that would fit their religion. But God was building something new. With the coming of Jesus, God was establishing a new kingdom. And he was about to set a new cornerstone. And Jesus was going to be that cornerstone. And even though he was rejected by men... Peter says here in this verse that he was chosen and precious in the sight of God. Then he's going to come back and say, you and I are, are, are like living stones. Jesus is the living stone, and you and I are to be like him. As we come to him, we are made like him. And we are being built into this spiritual house that he talks about here. And so he says, Jesus came, he was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and he was precious. He was selected by God to be the cornerstone of this new kingdom that God's about to build. And even though the world had rejected Jesus, God had chosen him and called him to be precious. And then he says, now you yourselves, verse 5, are are like living stones. And you are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, when they would build a, a, a temple, they would build a house, they would set the cornerstone. And again, it would be perfectly squared. It would make the corner. And then all the other stones would, would work off of that. If the cornerstone was, was messed up, then the rest of the building would be messed up. But if the cornerstone was right and the builders would build off that cornerstone, then that building would be square and that building would be fine. And he says that Jesus is this cornerstone. And then you and I are like living stones as well. We are these little stones that are being built up to create this spiritual house, this new kingdom that God is creating. Now, it's interesting to to me that that, that we are not the stone, but we are a stone. And and we are stones that are being built up. As we humble ourselves, God will build us up. As we humble ourselves, God will take us and, and put us in his building, in his kingdom to fit his purpose. And to complete his design. So God takes each one of us, guys, and, and we're not competing against other believers. When you brick a house, one brick's not competing against the other bricks. They're all working together to complete the house. And in God's kingdom, you and I are not competing against each other. 
We're, we're not striving to, to, to find our place or to you know, say, well, well, you're a brick on row three and I'm a brick on row ten. I must be better than you. We're stones that fit, that God takes, he selects, he chooses. We're precious to him. He places us where he wants us in his kingdom. And we become a part of this kingdom that God is creating. We are cooperating with one another. We are linking arms hand in hand with one another. And so we are a part of this spiritual house, this this new kingdom that's not only connected to Christ, but now it's connected to all who belong to Christ. Scripture talks about God building his church. And, and, and Jesus says that I will build my kingdom. Not, not me building it, not you building it, but God building it. And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a kingdom that will not fail, a kingdom that will not falter. It's a kingdom that's established by God for his glory. The Jews took great pride in, in the temple that was there in Jerusalem. It took them 40-something years to build that temple. We think that our repairs are taking a long time here. Man, they, they worked day in and day out for years to build this temple. Remember when Jesus said, you know, you'd see this temple, destroy it, and in three days I'll build it back, and they thought he was crazy? It took us 40-something years to build this. You can't build it back in three days. They took great pride in their temple. It was a reflection for them of the glory and the grandeur of God. And, and this, this new kingdom that God is building is, is being built to bring glory and to bring praise to him. And Peter's going to pick up on all of those types of imagery here in this passage. So he says, as you come to him, this living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones. Now let me pause there for just a second. If Jesus was rejected by men... And we are going to be made like Jesus. What does that tell you about how we will fit in this world? Remember when Jesus said, if they've hated the teacher, they're going to hate the student. The student's not above his teacher. The servant's not above his master. If they've persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they've killed me, they're probably going to kill you, Jesus says. Well, here he says, Jesus was a living stone, and the world rejected him. And now he's saying, and and you too are going to be like living stones. And and here's the thing. If somebody in that day was building a building, and they thought that there was a fault with the cornerstone, then in their mind, there's a fault with the whole building. If that cornerstone is not right, and it's not good, then the rest of the building is worth nothing. And, And so by them rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting this building, this kingdom that God is building. One of the things we'll talk about in our takeaway today is this, that if you, if you reject the cornerstone, then you've rejected the whole kingdom. If you've got a problem with Jesus, then you've got a problem with his kingdom because he is the cornerstone. He is the, the one that, that, that started it and that, that, that lays this whole thing out. And if he's not right, then this kingdom's not right. So he says, you're being built up as a spiritual house, a spiritual kingdom. And why is he doing that? Why is he placing us in this kingdom? You see, this, this spiritual house that he's building, guys, is not just a temple like the one in Jerusalem that you would visit at a festival and then go back home. This kingdom that God is building is a kingdom that you and I are made a part of where God dwells that we go into and we never come out of. It's a kingdom that we belong to, not just a, a, a temple that we visit. So he says, you are, you are made to be a part of this spiritual house, this spiritual kingdom that God is creating. And, and here's your role. You are called to be a holy priesthood. In other words, you're called to serve at his, at his altar. You are called to, to serve for his glory. You are called to serve in his kingdom. Priests would offer the, sacri- the sacrifices to God. And he says, you're to be a holy priesthood, not a corrupt priesthood, not a watered-down priesthood, but but a holy priesthood who who reflects the holiness of God in in all that you do. And these priests offer these sacrifices to God. He says, so you're to be a holy priesthood, and and, and you're to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you remember last week or the week before, we looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. 
And I want to jump back to that real quick here. In, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the, the Scripture tells us that we are called to, to, to offer ourselves as a spiritual sacrifice. Look, look with me real quick at Romans. Romans chapter 12, just verse 1, real quick. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, yourself, who you are, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here's what he's saying to us. As we come, First Peter, as we come in to, to be a part of this spiritual house that God is building, we are called to, to be priests that are, that are ministering before the Lord, and, and we are offering sacrifices to God. What's the sacrifice we're offering to God? We are offering ourselves to God every single day. So he says, you offer yourself. Romans, Paul says, you offer your body as a living sacrifice. It's acceptable to God. How is my body, uh, uh, myself, or my being, how is that acceptable to God? Well, Peter says that back there in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, offer your, your, you offer this spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The only way that I'm made acceptable to God is through Jesus. I cannot come before the Lord and offer myself and that be acceptable to God apart from what Jesus did. Scripture says that, that we are like filthy rags apart from Jesus. But Romans says that we have been given a righteousness apart from the law, apart from what we can do, what we can accomplish, a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And so it's in Christ, through Christ, that we are made acceptable to God and that when we bring ourselves to the Lord through the sacrifice of Christ, through what he did, that we can then offer to God this acceptable sacrifice. So let's, let's kind of put all this together in a nutshell, okay? He's saying that, that, that God is, Jesus is his cornerstone, that God is building this building, that you and I are stones that God's going to, to put into place as he sees fit to build his kingdom, okay? And, and then he, he makes us a part of this kingdom in order that we can be priests ministering to God, okay? Offering sacrifices to God, and the sacrifice that you and I are called to offer is not an animal, but ourselves, and we offer that to the Lord, and it is pleasing and acceptable to God because we come to him through Christ. And then in verse 6, he says, For it stands in Scripture. In other words, Scripture has said, Scripture has declared, Scripture is, is being proven true right now, Peter would say. He says, Behold, this is God speaking, Behold, I am laying in Zion, in the spiritual kingdom, a stone, that, that cornerstone, okay? I am laying a stone, a cornerstone that's chosen and precious. Who's he talking about? The one that he's just described in the previous verses. Remember Jesus? You came to him, he was a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and precious. Well, here's that same term, chosen and precious again. So he said, God's saying, I I'm laying a, 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 a cornerstone in this new kingdom, this spiritual kingdom that I'm creating. And that cornerstone is chosen and precious. It's Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now picture this. You're going to build a building. And you go out and you select a stone to be your cornerstone. And, and you can't really tell a lot about that stone, maybe, but you think, this looks good to me, and I, I'm going to, my, my, my mind says this is good. And you make that your cornerstone. And you begin to build this, this great big building, this great big thing around that cornerstone, only to find out later on that that cornerstone is flawed. Only to find out that cornerstone had some fault lines in it you couldn't see, and it just crumbles and it falls, and the whole building collapses. You would be put to shame because the stone that you built your building on couldn't hold up. Here's what Peter's saying. Those who put their hope in Christ will never, ever be disappointed. Those who put their hope in Christ and build their lives around him, according to him, will never be put to shame. There's nothing that's going to be revealed about Jesus that would ever bring shame to your decision to build your life on Jesus. Nothing. Those who, who ever build their lives, believe in him, will not be put to shame. Why? Because there's no flaw in that stone. No one will ever find a fault in Jesus 
that would disgrace him or disgrace us for following him. Now we can say that in our heads, but the real test is whether we believe that in our hearts. Because if I believe it in my heart, then I'm going to put all my eggs in that basket. And I'm going to build everything around that. If I just believe that in my head, I'm, I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit. And I'm going to say, yeah, well, I, I want just enough of Jesus that I, I think I'm okay to get to heaven. But I'm going to have this other plan B over here just in case that one falls through. Peter says, you don't need plan B. God has selected the cornerstone. He has examined it. He's declared it perfect in every way. He's chosen it. It's precious. It's perfect. And this is what God builds his kingdom upon. And those who believe in him will not be put to shame. So, he says in verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. Believe what? Believe in him, like he said in verse 6. You you will be proven wise, he says, if you build upon this cornerstone. But for those who do not believe, and there will be many, remember, they've rejected Jesus. They've not believed in him. They've they've shoved him aside. They've, They've rejected him as the possibility to be the cornerstone of the kingdom that God's building. For them, the cornerstone was going to be the law, or for them, the cornerstone was going to be man's tradition, or for for them, the cornerstone was going to be the high priest. They, They had selected a different cornerstone, and they've rejected Jesus as unworthy. But he says, for those of you that believe, you're going to you're going to have great honor because you've chosen the right stone. But for those that don't believe, look at this. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's still the cornerstone of God's kingdom. It doesn't matter if man approves. We can take a poll of, of, of all the people in, in, in all this world and say, what do you think about Jesus? And it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is a cornerstone for the kingdom that God's building. God did not take a political opinion poll to decide who ought to be his cornerstone. He didn't take any kind of polls to see which way the wind was going to blow and which way things were going to go. He says, this is my cornerstone, and this is it. And even if people don't, don't accept it, even if those that reject it, Jesus has still become the cornerstone of the kingdom that God has created. And so he says here, the stone that the builders rejected, the one that they've discarded, when they reject him, they reject his building. They, they reject his kingdom. And those who select him will be proven wise and those who reject him will be proven to be foolish why because he's going to be the cornerstone of the kingdom that we all say we want to be a part of he goes on in verse 8 to say that that this stone this cornerstone that they've rejected will become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense jesus becomes a stumbling block for the jews they they trip over him Because they don't think he's worthy. They've shoved him to the side. By rejecting Jesus, they fall short. They stumble. They fall short. They're not saved. And Jesus also becomes this rock of offense. Remember how many times in the Gospels when Jesus would speak a parable, the Jews would be offended by Jesus? How dare him say that? By what authority do you say that? Who told him that? Where'd you go to school? They were offended by what Jesus said because they were offended that their efforts and their works were not going to be acceptable before God. They just weren't enough. So here's the the option that we're left with. We can build our lives around Jesus, this cornerstone that God has chosen, that is precious in the sight of God, perfect. And we will be honored for that decision. Or we can reject God's cornerstone, choose to build our lives on something else, and one day look back and go, you know what? The thing that I rejected is the thing that I stumbled over. It was a thing that was offensive to me, but it was the thing that God had chosen. And by rejecting him, I rejected his kingdom. It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You see, those that don't believe stumble because they, they, they disobeyed, they rejected the word of God. And that stumbling was, was destined to come. 
See, all who refuse to obey God's word, who reject God's word, God's truth, are destined to stumble and to fall short. So that's the warning that he gives us. But then he follows up here in in verse 9 and following. He says, but you. That's not a description of you if you're a believer. You haven't rejected the cornerstone. Listen, you, you cannot. Please follow me here. You cannot reject the cornerstone and still be a part of that kingdom. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father. No one can be included in this kingdom apart from me. So you can't reject the cornerstone and still be a part of the kingdom. And he says, but, but that's not you. You're not rejecting it. You've embraced it. And he says, so, so because you've embraced it, you are like this living stone. And he describes what those living stones are like. You are a chosen race, verse 9. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. These these words probably don't ring as true or as familiar to us as it would have to the Jews that Peter's writing to. The Jews were God's chosen people. They took great pride in that. And and Peter is contrasting this chosen nation with those who are chosen to be in God's kingdom. He says, you're the chosen race. You are now in the bloodline of Christ because you came to Christ and you were saved by his blood. Now you are in the bloodline of Christ. You You have been chosen in Christ. You are this royal priesthood. You're not just any priest, but you're, you're royal because you're a part of his family. You're a priest in his kingdom. To the new believers that are going to be a part of the kingdom of God, he's saying you are now a holy nation. The Jewish nation was meant to be that, but they never achieved that. Read through the Old Testament. Very, very just... Brief moments was the nation of Israel repentant and holy before God. But if you had to summarize the nation of Israel, they were not a holy people. God was continually having to call them back to repentance. He says, as believers who are now a part of this building, this kingdom that God's building, you and I are called to be a holy nation. In other words, in this new covenant, we are to become what the Jews refused to be. A holy nation, a people that, that were God's own possession, that belonged to him. Why has God done that? Why has he chosen us? Why has he made us part of a, a royal priesthood? Why is he creating this holy nation, this people that belong to him? Well, he tells us there in the second half of that verse. He says, all that's true of you. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God's claimed us, called us, recreated us, done all this. Why? So that we can proclaim the excellencies of him. Guys, listen, Jesus didn't make you a believer so you could walk around town and say, I'm a believer. Look what I've done. I've arrived. He's done all the work all the saving, all the sanctifying work so that you can reflect him and he can have the glory. If somebody looks at your life and says, man, I love the way that you walk with Jesus, you ought to be quick to say, you know what? That's only because of Jesus. Too many times we forget where we were when he found us and what we were like when he found us. And we forget who it was that cleaned us up and called us precious and chose us to be his own. We forget who it was that placed us in this building, in this kingdom. We forget who it was that, that, that let us be a part of something bigger and greater and, and, and more eternal than we could ever be on our own. We forget that and we grow prideful. And when we grow prideful, then we look at others who aren't there and we go, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you like me? Peter's calling us to remain humble here and realize that every one of these things, being chosen, being a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, all of those are things that God did, not us. And he did it so that we can give him the glory, we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. 
So even he called us to this. But look what he did. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That goes back to where we were last week. That, that we are to, 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 to leave behind the sin, but also to be filled with him. We said it wasn't enough just to sweep the house clean, but we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, here's that same thought again. He's called you out of something, but even more important than that, he's called you into something, into him. He's called you out of this world into his kingdom. And by the way, there's no dual citizenship when it comes to the kingdom of God. I can't remain a, a citizen of this kingdom in this world and still be a kingdom, a, a citizen of, of God's kingdom. We don't run dual citizenships. You belong to one or the other. And that's what Peter's saying here. He's called you out of your old life, out of the old kingdom, out of the old way of doing things, into this new life, this marvelous light, this light of holiness, his kingdom, that you could have never been a part of had he not called you. And then it reminds us, well, let's, let's look at John chapter 3, how that he's called us out of darkness. John chapter 3. Beginning in verse 19. John chapter 3. It says, and this is the judgment. In other words, this is the truth. This is the verdict, okay? The light, which was Jesus, came into this world, and the people loved darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light unless his works, be, works should be exposed, his sin should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out, what? In God. So here, here's a picture. He's saying those that, that, that choose to walk in darkness, okay, are not going to come to Jesus because they know if they, if they come to Jesus, they're not going to be comfortable in the presence of believers. They're not going to be the, these people who are, 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 are comfortable coming into light. If, if you're living in sin, okay, you're going to be intimidated around believers who are walking with God. You're not going to be comfortable in the presence of those who are living out their faith, who are living a holy, godly life in, in the view of everyone. Which is why the world is not comfortable in the presence of a godly believer. It's why they crucified Jesus. He had done nothing wrong. He did everything right, and that was more than they could stand. And so John says, look, those that are, that are, that are walking and in, 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 have chosen to live their life in the darkness will not come into the light because they're, they're scared to death that their, their lives are going to be exposed for what they are. But, but those who want to walk with God are going to come into the light, not so that we can show what we can do, but so that we can show what God has done in us. So Peter picks up on that, and he says this. He says that, that God has called us out of this darkness into this marvelous light. He says, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Let that sink in for just a minute. Once we were nobody. And now, because of what Jesus has done, we are God's people. Part of his family, his chosen and precious family he says once you had not received mercy we were objects of god's wrath but now we've received mercy we're loved by him now it would be easy guys for us to look at that and go we are somebody and reality is we are because of what jesus has done but we should never, ever forget where we came from. And, and while God calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light, we should never forget those that are still in the darkness and that still need to know about his light. So we've been called out of this old way of life, and we're called into this kingdom that God's creating to be his people to represent him to be priests that are offering ourselves to the Lord and then he says in verse 11 beloved I urge you 
as sojourners and exiles. That was introduced back in chapter 1, verse 1, okay? That we're just passing through. This is not our home anymore. He's called us out of this world into his kingdom. So right now we're passing through a land that's no longer our own. We're sojourners and and exiles. And as such, he says, I want you to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Leave behind, resist, don't, don't give in to the passions of the flesh, the passions of this world, which wage war against your soul. So part of coming into the kingdom is leaving behind the, the old stuff, the, the passions of this world, the passions of this flesh. He says, which wage war against your soul. They attack your soul. They call you back into slavery, call you back into bondage. You've been set free from that. Don't go back to it anymore. Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 and verse 24, talk to us about this, this uh, leaving behind of the, the old life and this war that takes place in, in our flesh. He says in verse 17, Galatians five seventeen, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. They're waging war, he says, against the Spirit. And the desire of the Spirit is waging war against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. And they keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we're in this battle. How do you win? Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ, those who've made Jesus their cornerstone, they have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's what Peter's calling us to do in this passage that we're looking at today. I want you to, to leave behind the old life, and I want you to come into this new. I want you to, I've called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. I've, I've called you now to be sojourners and exiles in this world. You, you don't belong here anymore. This is not your home. You're not going to fit. Leave behind the passions of the flesh that are waging war, stunning your growth. And then he says in verse 12, And keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among those that are still a part of that world. Keep your conduct among them honorable so that when they speak against you, just like they spoke against Jesus as an evildoer, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What is this day of visitation? The first thing that comes to my mind when I think about the day of visitation is is this day of judgment when they stand before the Lord. And, and for some, that will be the first time that they confess that Jesus is Lord. That they see that the cornerstone was worthy. That they realize that the kingdom that God built was real. But at that point, it will be too late. But there could also be another day of visitation. And that may be the day that God comes to them prior to judgment and opens their eyes to the truth. Just like he came to you, just like he's come to me, and opened our eyes to the truth, and we go, Jesus really is the Son of God. That would be a day of visitation when when God came. Today could be your day of visitation where God opens your eyes and says to you that Jesus really is the cornerstone. He really is chosen and precious. He really is worthy of you building your whole life around. That day of visitation doesn't just have to be the day of judgment. It could be today where God opens our hearts and opens our eyes and lets us see that Jesus really is who God said he was. Either way, on that day, they will realize that those who've built their life on Jesus were wise. And those who didn't were were fools. So he says there's coming a day when, when this will happen. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, uh, Paul writes and he, he reminds us that, that there's coming a day. There's coming a day when every knee will bow. He says, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is this day of visitation that is coming. Scripture says it's given a man once to die and then to face the judgment. Every one of us will, will come before the, the throne room of God and give an account for our lives and the decisions that we've made and what we've built our lives upon. 
that day of visitation could be today when we open our eyes. The Spirit of God opens our eyes to see that Jesus really is worthy of everything that I have. Or we could reject him now and face him later as our judge. Now as your Savior or then as your judge. Those are our two options. Well, real quick this morning, I want to wrap up by giving you a couple takeaways, something that, that you can kind of just take with you. Let's, let's do some application real quick, okay? And, and I want to kind of answer the question, what difference does, does all this make? What difference does it make that I've been chosen, that I've been declared precious, that I've been included in the kingdom? What, what, what difference does that make? Or what difference does it make if I don't do that? Well, I think the first thing I would say is this, that Jesus is the cornerstone of this new kingdom. It's not an earthly kingdom, but it's a heavenly kingdom. And believers are brought in and made a part of that kingdom. They're living stones that are built upon the cornerstone. They're connected to Jesus. They're connected to other believers. And those who reject him reject that kingdom. But the good news is this, that what man has rejected, God has chosen. And he has declared precious. So even if the world rejects you for embracing Christ... You become a precious reject. Not precious in the eyes of the world, but precious in the eyes of God. Which leads us to ask this question. Who do I want to be precious in the eyes of? Because if you want to be precious in the eyes of the world, you can do that. But if you want to be precious in the eyes of God, only Jesus can do that. So who are we trying to be precious in the eyes of? If my purpose for living is to get the world to adore me, all right, but that's not building on that cornerstone called Jesus. If my goal, however, is to build my life upon the cornerstone so that I can proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light, then I've got to build upon Jesus. And he's got to become that, that, that rock that's immovable, that rock that defines everything else about that building, everything else about my life. So we're precious rejects. Precious in the eyes of God, rejects in the eyes of the world. So whose opinion are you seeking? Who are you looking for to give your life value? And what are you going to build the rest of your life on? I think the second takeaway is this. It's kind of a warning to the skeptics or the critics or the opponents of Christianity. And that warning is this, that to reject this cornerstone named Jesus is to reject the kingdom that he came to establish. You can't reject Jesus and still go to heaven. You can't reject Jesus and still in inherit the kingdom. To reject the cornerstone is to reject the kingdom. If you say the cornerstone's flawed or unworthy or undesirable, then you're saying the kingdom of God is flawed and unworthy and undesirable because that kingdom is built upon that stone. So if you reject Jesus, you're rejecting heaven. To find fault with the faultless one is to reject him and to reject his kingdom. So you can't embrace or reject Jesus and embrace heaven because heaven is being built upon him. And I would say this, if you don't like Jesus, you're not going to like heaven. Because he's the one that not only gave us access to heaven, but he's one of the ones that we worshiping there for all of eternity. So we can declare him now as our savior or later and face him later as our judge. The third thing I would say is, is a reminder to believers that if you've already put your faith and your trust in Jesus, if you're building your life upon him as a cornerstone of all that you do, then we're chosen and we're precious and we're holy and we're royal only because of God's grace, not by anything that we've done or that we've deserved. He's the one that called us. He's the one that claimed us. He's the one that has shaped us and fit us into his kingdom. Peter reminds us that once we were not, but now we are. And we have every reason to declare his glory and no reason to be prideful. We were rejects that God has repurposed for his kingdom. We were nobodies that he has made into somebody 
we were living in darkness. And he called us out of that into his marvelous light. We've been given new life. We've been given a new name. We've been put into a new family, given a new home. And none of this was deserved. It was all by grace. And so he's called us out of that old life into this new life. And the fourth thing that I would close with this morning is this. That while you and I are called to leave behind the old life, that old kingdom, that old place that we once lived, we should never leave behind those who are still there. If, if the work that God has done in our hearts and in our lives by grace should do anything within us, it ought to create this genuine compassion for those who are still trapped in that old life, who, who do not know that there is a, another way who have not yet seen that Jesus is the Lord, that he is the Savior, that he does love them. We, we, we need to leave that old place and that old sin, but we don't leave those people. We keep reaching, we keep calling, we keep encouraging, we keep speaking the gospel so that they can hear and that hopefully one day, one day they can encounter Jesus and they can escape. Because you see, they're a part of a, of a kingdom that is going to be destroyed. And unless they flee, they'll be destroyed with it. Remember the story of Lot and his family? Sodom was going to be destroyed. And God said to Lot, get your family and get up and get out and don't look back. They're a part of that same kind of a kingdom that's going to be destroyed one day. And we need to call out to them, come now. And find life. Come now and experience Jesus. Come now and be a living stone being built into the kingdom that God is creating. It's not a kingdom of this world. But come. And so we, we should feel deep empathy and heartfelt compassion for those who remain behind in the old kingdom. Because we of all people know firsthand what it's like to be trapped in that world. Hopeless without Christ. So we don't just run off and say, I found Jesus and I've got it all together and I'm going to heaven and this is great and I don't care about anybody else. We know what it's like to be where they are. And we've got to have the compassion to proclaim the excellencies of God. Listen, here's where we get mixed up. Sometimes we proclaim the excellencies of us. Well, let me tell you, I used to be, but now I am. And we act like it's something we did. And they may even try to do that themselves and fall flat on their face and go, I've tried, but I just can't break this addiction. I've tried, I just can't let that stuff go. I tried, but I keep running back to that same stuff again. And, and, and again, what Peter is saying here, like he said in, in, in verse 3, is if you've tasted that the Lord is good, then, then you ought to want everybody else to have a bite of that, everybody else to have a taste of that. If his grace and his goodness and his salvation mean anything to us, we ought to want those who are still in that world to get to experience that as well. So we give him the credit that he called us out. And if he called me out, he can call you out. So we're called to leave the old life, but to make him known to those who still are trapped in that world. We were once the ones who were rejecting him. But by God's grace, our hearts changed. And if our hearts changed, anybody's heart can change by the grace of God. So this ought to stir our compassion for the lost. It ought to give us hope for their situation and a desire to make God known so that they can come. And they too can be a part of this kingdom that God is building. So leave your sin behind, but don't abandon those that Jesus came to save. Make known his incredible grace. And his incredible love. So, as we finish this morning, some of you here, some of you may be watching or listening online. Maybe you feel God tugging at your heart and you say, you know what, I want to leave that old life behind and I want to be made new. I, I, I long to know that I belong to Jesus. You dream of a fresh start and a new life. 
to leave that old stuff behind and be made brand new. The thought of being chosen and royal and holy and a people that belong to God, that, that, that thought stirs your heart right now. That's the Holy Spirit stirring that and giving you that desire. So how do we do that? We've got to go back to the very first verse we started with this morning, verse 4. And the first five words of verse 4 are, are the key to leaving that old life behind. And he says this, as you come to him. That's the only way to escape the old life. That's the only way to be made new is to come to him. But you can't come if God doesn't call. But if God's stirring your heart and God's placing a desire inside of you to be born again, to be in his kingdom, to be brought into this thing that God is creating that will last forever, then, then he is calling you right now. And your job is to respond. As you come to him. It's not possible apart from that. This is not about just a, a, a you know, pick yourself up by the bootstraps thing. It's not going to happen that way. It's not by cleaning up the outside of your life and becoming moral. It's about realizing that you are bankrupt and that you are dead and that you need Jesus to bring life to you. And then calling out to him. For there's no other way that you and I can experience that new life. But it happens as we come to him. And that's what Peter's trying to say to us today. We've got to come to him. So if God's stirring your heart this morning, as we close in prayer, maybe you would just cry out to God in, in your own words and, in, 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 and straight from your heart to say to God, God, I want to come, but I need your help. I want to be made new, but I can't do that on my own. I want to be born again and, and, and released from that old way of life and brought into this new kingdom, God, that you're creating. And so, God, I come to you and I ask you to help me. Do whatever you've got to do, God, to pull me out of the old and bring me into the new. I want to build my life on the cornerstone, the one. And I want to do it today. So as we pray, would you talk to God right now? And would you ask him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? Let's pray.